Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. I'm going to speak this morning from James 3, 1 through 12. And I know that some people like you to stand when you hear scripture, but I'd like for you to close your eyes. Don't stand. Just sit where you are and close your eyes. Sometimes when we're just listening and not using all our senses, maybe we hear the words in a little bit different way. And also to help with that, I know the message is, you know, maybe not the best. It's not a translation necessarily, um, but I think it puts it in words that maybe jar you a bit, words that you didn't hear in church in the same kind of way and maybe gives it a different kind of meaning. Okay, so relax. This is the word of This is scripture, this is James, close your eyes. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father, With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? All right, you may open your eyes if you'd like. I uh, read that one minister um, giving advice to anybody who would speak or teach on James 3, 1 to 12, would do well to just lead out and engage in 30 minutes of silent prayer. I was tempted because that way I wouldn't do anything wrong with my words, right? And you wouldn't either, but that's only part of it. So I enjoyed um, reading some commentary and some people who have worked with these metaphors a lot. We've heard these metaphors. I grew up with them and I'm just kind of fascinated with them. So the, the passage of course begins with this really stern warning about teaching. I mean, who would ever want to teach if you, if you just read that over and over again? Um, <clears throat> almost seems like a tirade there on how the human tongue is just dangerous and evil. And 
our only hope to some extent is to keep it under control and maybe just be quiet a lot. But um, anytime this risky activity is speaking, he says in this first part, when it's also paired with authority, as in teaching, then there's just extra scrutiny, accountability from God. Really scary, it's a sobering reminder. And, and you may think that doesn't fit you, but anybody who's any, you know, maybe you have a mentee, you're a mentor, or you're an older brother or sister, um, there's accountability. So here are the three metaphors. Let's start with that, and then I'm gonna end with some um, of my thoughts about this and some stories. The first metaphor, that of guiding a horse with a bridle, it's really simple and straightforward. It's actually a, a, a very um, helpful to start with this one. So it's the rider or the chariot driver directs the strength, speed, and direction of a horse much larger than himself by a bit in the horse's mouth. And it's really interesting, the way this really makes it simple is that the bit actually is pressing against the animal's tongue. So duh, that's what it's doing. It's controlling, it's pressing down on the tongue, and then it's able uh, to control the horse's tongue with the bit in its mouth as it, and then it controls the whole body. So this bit pressing down on the tongue ends up controlling this big body of a horse. So moving on to the next one, the metaphor of the ship's rudder introduces um, some different uh, aspects to the metaphor. So we have the captain, the rudder and the ship are like the rider or the driver, the bit and the horse in the first one, but it adds influence of outside forces, the wind, the waves, um, that would take the ship on a different course or destroy it altogether. The captain who's able to keep control of the rudder, um, just like the person able to keep control of your tongue, can weather difficult circumstances and come through the storm. The third one is a little bit different. So the bit and the rudder are simply tools, but in James' view, there's something else going on. Um, there's in this third one, he gives a sense in which the tongue is not simply a tool uh, to be utilized and just controlled in that kind of simple way, but it's kind of a wild card. It has a mind of its own. And so that's why this third one then adds this different dimension of James' concern is that this, this whole thing of the tongue and our words are, they're uncontrolled, they're uncontrollable, and this has to do with the spark, you know, the fire that can wreck havoc. Um, it actually, he goes to some length to describe its disruptive nature, upsetting the entire created order. Uh, how did he say that? Um, we can ruin the world, is how this translation said it. And then he goes on to talk about this smoke from the pit of hell. And this was interesting to me. Um, it, it, uh, one commentator thought that this that this was a special vivid image for those li who lived in the vicinity of Jerusalem by the trash dump, which smoldered continuously fed by the city's trash. I mean, James, let's just say, goes to great lengths to help us understand the seriousness of our, of our tongues. Okay, so, so when we see this uh, fire, this tongue as, you know, fire, and it's just out of control, um, we can think this is really an evil thing. You know, it's uh, controllable with effort, but incapable of real change. Um, we might wonder, so we think about raging dangerous fires in Colorado and California and how it just takes a great effort. I mean, all the destruction. 
But what about thinking of that same spark with the opposite side of that metaphor? The home fires that cooked people's food in pioneer days. The campfire that you enjoy sitting around. Or this lovely gas fire that everyone loves to sit beside. When I, uh, when I thought about stories or you know, other analogies, a story came to me. I don't even know how young I was when I knew it. It seems like I always knew it. And it was the most vivid story I could think of gossip. And I bet some of you grew up with it too. I learned that there are many different variations of the story. So one story, one version, uh, it's a folktale. And one version of this folktale is, um, is set in Eastern European, uh, uh, sorry, an Eastern European village, something like Olkonek in the late 19th century. And the little boy in the story, his name is Yankel, and he loves to tell stories. And he just gets anything interesting tidbit that he hears, and he spreads it wherever he can. It might be someone else's story. Maybe someone else should be sharing that, but Yankel just loves stories. And so he would just share them wherever he could. Well, another version of that is a woman who repeated some gossip about a neighbor and within a few days, everyone in the community knew the story. And the person she talked about heard what had been said, and she was very sad. And later, the woman who had spread the story learned that it wasn't true. And she was very sorry. And she went to a wise rabbi and asked what she could do to repair the damage. OK, so that's the second version. And another version is set in a small German village. So I think we get the sense that this could have happened anywhere in the world. A woman differed with her minister and became so angry that she began spreading ugly rumors about him around town. And as it happened, what happened in the story, she eventually became ill and called on the minister to pray for her. He came gladly, and she asked his forgiveness of her gossiping. And she said, I will grant you forgiveness, but there's something you must do. OK, so those are the th three, at least three versions. And in every one of the stories, the um, advice given to them to make things right or to redeem the situation all have to do with feathers. So the first one is called A Sack Full of Feathers. It's a children's book. And I think in that one, he has to take a feather to every doorstep um, in the village. The second one, with the woman repeating a, a gossip about a neighbor, went to the rabbi and had her bring back a feather pillow. And she had to split open the pillow and pull out all the feathers. And in the last one, uh, she had to bring all the pluck the feathers from a chicken and put him into a basket and bring him back to the minister. And then he had her take the basket of feathers, scatter them in the corners of the marketplace and from the towers of the church, scatter them throughout the town, and then come back. And then the ending of all these versions, of course, is the same. Can you guess what happened? Yeah, they were supposed to go pick up all the feathers, not miss one, go get all of them. And the wind had blown them everywhere. They came back distraught, sorrowful, sorrow and just wanting to repent of what they had done. And the rabbi said this in the end. And that is what happens when you gossip or tell a story about someone else. Once you talk about someone, the words fly from one person's mouth to another, just like these feathers flew in the wind. Once you say them, you can never take them back. Powerful story. I can understand why many versions have come out. 
So what other uh, messages do we get from scripture about our speech and words? So I asked, um, my last class was, um, what was my last class? Intro to Counseling. And I asked people to pick up scripture. Um, and so they are going to help me out. And I'm going to say what the verse is, I mean the, the reference. And then when you hear the reference on your sheet of paper, you don't, you don't need to stand. I want you to speak clearly, loudly and slowly. And the rest of you, if you would just close your eyes again, because I don't want you to be distracted by, ooh, who was that? Where did that voice come from? I want you to really hear these words, okay? <clears throat> Proverbs 16, 24. Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs 12:18 Proverbs 14:1 Okay and keep your volume up because of the fan thank you Proverbs 14:3 Proverbs 18.2. Proverbs 18.4. Many words rush along like rivers and flood, but deep wisdom flows up from Archimedes springs. Proverbs 15.1. Proverbs 10, 21. The talk of a good person is rich fare for many, but chatterboxes die of an empty heart. Proverbs 18, 21. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for reading those. Other messages from Scripture. I think they were all from Proverbs. Okay, I'd like to just share some things and a few stories here. Um, I think we all agree that words can wound and words can bless. In my profession, in counseling, I'm aware that sometimes people, um, what they're experiencing now, they can connect back to a word, a question, or something that was said a long time ago. Sometimes that happens when someone's struggling with anorexia. They will point back to the time when someone noticed that they were getting maybe just a little bit chubby and it went deep into their heart. Words that bless, I wonder if you can remember a time when if you were not quite sure how, what kind of student you were, you kind of questioned yourself academically. Um, and then came that word of encouragement. I knew someone who thought she was told in high school that she asked too many questions and he was really frustrated with her. And she got to college and just really questioned herself as a student. And on one of her papers was written, where are you going to graduate school? And she did. 
So those times when words bless and when they wound, we usually know where we were. We kind of were at a certain place, and, and it, it was made a huge impression on us. Um, in marriage and family class, we reviewed the five love languages, and we talked about encouraging words as some people's love language. And I told them two stories that I'm going to share here. Um, one had to do with our son, Jeremy, who went to Rose Holman um, Institute of Technology and had some really good Christian brothers around him who um, they lived together. They were all part of the navigators, I think, on campus. And one time they started getting really concerned about their amount of sarcasm. They decided that it was really a problem, that they hardly could even speak without sarcasm. And so, you know, they were kind of dedicated to discipling each other. And so they put out a sarcasm jar the beginning of a week and said, we're going to do this for a week. And every time you're sarcastic, you have to put a dollar in. And at the end of the week, we're going to give it to some charity that we choose. One guy just, you know, made a big sigh, whipped out a 10 and stu stuck it in there. That's going to be a really long week, maybe an expensive week. But they were working on sarcasm. Another story um, came in a Sunday school class, and we were talking about words and speech. And I'll call this man James, a friend of ours, told us a story about being in high school. And um, he didn't connect with academics. He didn't read real well. Um, and so that really made him feel behind in school. And he had a guidance counselor who, um, to his credit, probably saw potential being wasted in James. Um, and made him very frustrated. Do you know how frustrated teachers can get when they see potential and then they see you wasting it? You know, it's just really, really annoying to teachers. Well, this guidance counselor, uh, this is not supposed to happen, but he didn't know how to express that to James, was very frustrated with what he, what looked like laziness. And at one point of frustration said, you are never going to amount to much. And James looked like it didn't matter to him, but of course it did. It went deep into his heart. He was very sensitive about that comment. And ended up barely graduating, but uh, got through high school. Um, a good friend tried to offer him a good job on a construction uh, team. He lasted one week because he couldn't do the math. You know, you do use math in some jobs um, when you graduate. And he, it was just too much for him. And so he did what came naturally to him. His sweet spot was under the hood of a car. And he found a very good job in a mechanic shop, um, became successful, and was just known uh, about his ability. And um, his wife says he just didn't get enough of it at work. And in the evenings, he would fix uh, cars in the evening for free. And his special, um, he had a special place in his heart for single moms. Those are the cars he fixed for free. He wanted to make sure they had transportation to get to their work or to take care of their children. Well, as James was telling us about this uh, comment that he heard in high school, he also told us about a dream or a uh, fantasy that he had. He would fantasize about driving home from work and seeing his guidance counselor stranded by the side of the road. And he would, like in his mind, think about this and imagine getting out of the car and he'd have his uniform on and his name and his title, you know, embroidered on his uniform and walk up and say, Mr. Smith, do you mind if I look under the hood of your car? I think I can get you back on the road here. Words that wound and words that bless. 
And you know, if you don't feel like you're very good at this, there are always people around who want to coach and help, even children. So I just was remembering a story about um, our oldest son, who happens to be Jason, uh, Dara's father, Jason, and her uh, younger sister, two years younger, named Lydia. And this is uh, quite a long time ago, and Lydia was about maybe five. They were living in North Africa at the time. And Lydia had gotten a new dress, and she was so pleased. And it didn't happen all the time, and so she was just delighted. And in her little dramatic way, she was twirling around the room. And Jason, I would say sometimes he tends to be preoccupied. He's thinking about a lot of things, maybe the next article he's going to write or something. And, you know, he was kind of aware, but not. And Lydia just wasn't getting the connection with her dad that she really wanted. And so she did one more little twirl, nothing, and looked at her dad and said, Papa? Now would be a really good time for you to say, Lydia, you look really nice in that dress. <laughs> so he said, I learned. She's helping me. So I saw somebody had four questions that could be kind of a grid to put your words through and help make decisions about what's helpful to say. And I'm going to tweak that because I don't agree with quite all of it. One is, is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? And does it improve on the silence? The only one I would replace with something else is, is it necessary? Because I don't know that we would talk much to each other if we had to go through every little thing that, was that necessary to say? Well, no. Um, and um, so I would like to, to put in, is everyone having fun? Something we used to ask our children a lot when we would hear something going on. And, you know, some, sometimes they would want, well, we're just having fun. And then we would say, is everyone having fun? That's the key here. And so I would say, in, in terms of words, um, I grew up in a household that was very uh, particular about words. If we said, for goodness sake, my dad would say, your goodness is this filthy rags. Or for Pete's sake, and he would say, who is Pete? And he was, he was just really... Uh, he, was, he really taught us words that we might have picked up that might be uh, racial slurs in some way that we didn't even know. And he just, if it would be our friends there, one time my friend said something, and he said, don't ever say that at our house again. We don't use that word here. Um, and I really appreciate that. So sometimes it's hard for me just to kind of cut loose and just say, you know, because I, I really appreciate having been taught, you know, that there are a lot of unnecessary words. But I'm telling you, I, when I can get in a game with my kids and I can do trash talk right with them, we all have fun. And it makes my kids day that mom is trashing us and, you know, acting so bravado like she's going to win or something. I just don't normally do that. And, and when I do, we're all having fun. So that's, that's one of the keys I would put. So is it kind? Is it necessary? Oh, sorry. Let me start again. Is it kind? Is it true? Is everyone having fun? And does it improve on the silence? I like that because silence is underappreciated. And we learned in, in, uh, when we talked about grief and loss that silence is words to the grieving. And if you're talking more than 30% of the time, you're talking way too much to a grieving person. OK. so. Um, Kind of my last point has to do with something that I remember from Conrad's ordination 40-some years ago. 
And um, so our pastor at the time, Mel Shetler, gave the sermon. And believe it or not, I just remember this really clearly, that he talked about sins of commission and sins of omission. And he, I even remember the example he gave. Uh, so Conrad was ordained, but he really gave the sermon to kind of both of us. And um, he just said, you know, Conrad and Lynette aren't going to commit a lot of sins of commission, like embezzling funds from the church treasury. And I thought, whoa, I never even thought about that. Um, but he said they're going to commit a lot of sins of omission. And I don't remember the examples that he gave, but I just know that when I think about that, I can give you a list that is pages and pages long of thank you notes I wish I would have written, of people I wish I would have gone to when they were going through a hard time, um, encouraging notes that I wish I would have written, letters I wish I would be sending regularly to my grandchildren, all of those things that I haven't done, words that could bless that I haven't taken time for. So this next little just encouragement is for those of you who may even be stingy with your words, partly because you're not sure that you feel like you have something to offer. I know that about you. You've written about that. And I just want to say we need your words in class. We need your thoughts. They're valuable. Just because someone is always ahead of you doesn't mean your thoughts and your words aren't valuable to us. So be, be generous. And then when it comes to vulnerability, some people don't want to share anything very personal. And that's a gift to people. What could you be saying to others that would bless them? You know, you know how much we say after somebody dies? Why do we do that? They can't hear it. Why can't we say that when they're living? It might make a huge difference to someone. I remember um, a couple that lived upstairs in our apartment, and they didn't live there long. They were students, and so they needed a place to stay, a young married couple, and we had some really good times together, but you know, I never knew exactly how they felt about us downstairs. And they were, had joined a small group that we had in our living room, and it was their last night, and then they were going to go do a study service trimester someplace else. And they started to pray. And in their prayer, Conrad and I just looked at each other during prayer and said, we're amazed. We had no idea the words that came out of their mouth, both of them. It came out in prayer the last night. So I, I think about that when I think about what we say after people die. Just want to encourage you, you know, those of you who have lots of words, have you hurt someone? Is there something you're aware of that you didn't mean to maybe, but the impact was hurtful? Or if you aren't very generous with your words, how could you bless others more? And to all of us, who needs to hear from you? What thoughts have you been having about someone that could be encouraging or a blessing, but you just never thought you should share it? You're holding it to yourself. Can you share that? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the ability to bless others. Just think about all the ways that we've been wounded with words. All of us can probably think of things that have been said. Thank you for your healing power. 
Thank you for people who want to pray healing prayers with us. And now also I want us to think about how we can be stingy with our blessing. We can think things and have thoughts of gratefulness but never tell anyone. Help us to be more transparent and more vulnerable. And thank you so much for this community right here, this big family that connects. They are mirrors to each other. They let each other know what things are, how they're coming across. And just may, may this be one more way to encourage each other to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.